Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www. TheGroveWR.org. And now, here's a word from the Lord. Let's revisit Luke chapter 7, verse 36. If you would allow me, I'd like to read this passage of scripture, even though you've already read it. Allow me to read this, this text, and uh, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him as at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. In the Greek, it literally means her tears showered his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. The Pharisee, who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would know what kind of woman is touching him she's a sinner then Jesus answered his thoughts Simon he said to the Pharisee I have something to say to you go ahead teacher Simon replied then Jesus told him this story a man loaned money to two people 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. I want to talk this morning from the thought, the why behind my worship. The why behind my worship. What I'm I'm about to share with you is a true story. A friend of mine used to pastor a small rural congregation. He had taken his youth on a trip and spent some of his own money feeding them and incurred a few other expenses. So the church would need to reimburse him. His financial secretary, his treasurer, kept the church's checkbook at her home. So he arranged to meet her at her house to get a check to reimburse him for the money he had spent. He gets to the house, knocked on the door, and her husband 
who was one of the deacons at his church, answered the door. My pastor friend and this deacon had a bit of a tense history. The deacon lets the pastor in and yells for his wife to come to the living room. She comes, greets the pastor, hands him a check. The pastor left. The following Sunday, the deacon, along with a few other of the church's deacons, were in the pastor's study. My friend said to the deacon, Deacon, you almost made me feel like I wasn't welcome in your home the other day. The deacon responded, because you're not. Because you're not. Deacon made me feel as if I'm not welcome in your home, because you're not. It was not unusual for Jesus to be a welcomed dinner guest in someone's home. Luke chapter 5, verse 29 and 31, Levi, Matthew, held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? In Luke 19.5, Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' home for dinner, and Zac took Jesus to his house, as the Bible says, with great excitement and joy. Today's text shares an instance where Jesus is the guest of a Pharisee named Simon. We know nothing more about Simon. He doesn't seem to have any negative, sinister intentions for having the master in his home. The dinner appears to be going normal. Everyone at the table is probably reclining as usual. They didn't eat dinner as we do, sitting up in a chair at a table. When they would have dinner, everyone would recline, uh, nearly lying down with one arm or elbow on the table and the rest of their body in a reclined posture. So we have no idea what was on the menu. Simon has been described by scholars as a wealthy man. So he probably had whatever he wanted on the menu. Maybe some lamb, delicious wine. I'm sure he had... Some, some very delicious food and beverage there at his home. As they're feasting, people are probably walking by the home, seeing what was going on inside. Homes were pretty open like that in those days. People could see what was happening inside the home, and it was typical for poor citizens to invite themselves inside of a home where a dinner or a feast was being had in hopes of getting some leftovers. So we may find it challenging to relate to strangers just walking into your home, into your kitchen, hoping to get food you're about to throw away. We have doors with deadbolts, security systems, surveillance cameras, and etc., to deter uninvited strangers from entering our homes. But Simon, with no ADT, no ring doorbells or cameras, no app on his phone that would allow him to deter strangers from suddenly appearing in his dining room, has another guest other than Jesus and, some, other and some, of, some of his disciples. Strangers appearing in someone's home or at someone's door wasn't a strange thing. She's described as a sinner. She's a sinner. That word sinner in the Greek means she's devoted to sin. She means bitterness when it comes to her sin. I know none of y'all can relate to that. None of you live like that now show didn't live like that before you came to jesus she was devoted to sin some have mistakenly supposed this is mary magdalene this is not her 
This is not Mary of Bethany, as others have supposed. We do not know this woman's name. She's just a sister devoted to a life of sin. She's far from God. She's not studying the commandments of God. She's not studying the promises of God. She ain't studying having a relationship with God. Some scholars speculate she may not even be Jewish. She may be a Gentile. She may be a, a heathen with no kind of religion at all. She's a sinner. She's a sister devoted to a life of sin. She's in bondage to sin. She does what sinners do, and she does it openly with no shame. Everyone knows she is a sinner. They see her videos on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Simon has seen her tweets on Twitter. They see her as she comes and goes. They, they hear the rumors about her in the beauty salon. The brothers talk about her at the barbershop and at the high school football games. As soon as she shows up at Northside or Hoco or Perry High or Warner Robins High or Veterans for a basketball game, they talk about her as she walks past the bleachers. They whisper about her. They go, your friend. Ain't, ain't that your friend? Then as soon as she makes eye contact with you and wave you, hey, hey, girl. She's a sinner woman. We don't know what her sins of choice are. We don't know if she's a prostitute or some dude's side piece or a thief or an addict to some type of drug or some type of substance. We don't know if her, if her addiction, if she has an addiction and if it has ruined her life, her health, her family, her, her, her potential, her, her career, her profession. We don't know. We, we do not know the particulars of her life or her sin of choice, but we do know she is definitely a sinner. Satan has a grip on her life. He has, he has her heart. He, he has her mind. He has her imagination in a chokehold. Satan has her so addicted to sin, she can't help but choose sin. And that's what sinners do. Sinners choose sin. Before any of us who came to Christ came to Christ, we were sinners who had no choice but to choose sin. Might as well say amen. Sinners, sinners are so depraved, they can't help but choose sin. Sin isn't just an action. It's a power that controls the sinner's life. That is how the follower of Jesus lived prior to accepting him as Savior and Lord. Every blood-bought, blood-washed follower of Jesus lived within the confines of Satan's grip and sin's influence until we came to Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 New Living Translation tells us you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Watch this y'all. Obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. That's Ephesians 2 and 3. Did y'all hear that? All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. This, this sinner woman enters Simon's house and invites herself to the table. She didn't come to see Simon. She didn't come to eat. She didn't come to talk to Simon's wife. She came to see Jesus. Why is this? Why would this sinner woman come to see Jesus? We do not know. Some scholars who follow the chronology of Jesus' ministry 
know that by this time the master has uttered these words. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I can make things better by you taking my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're allowed to wonder if she may have heard him extend this invitation or heard about such an invitation and has come to accept the invite. And let me tell y'all, this is quite an invitation to accept. Jesus' invitation when he talks about these yokes is quite an invitation to accept. It's, so, it's such a powerful invitation. Let me pause here and give you three things real quick about this particular invitation. First of all, this invitation is to, be, is to the tired. This invitation is to the tired. When Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is extending an invitation to a relationship with himself to those who are tired. Tired. Perhaps this woman is tired of a life of sin or tired of any pressure, any religion has put on her to live according to a bunch of rules. We don't know. We don't know, but anyone tired of trying to live right, anyone tired of trying to get it together, anyone tired of trying to live up to the pressure of a bunch of rules in religion, you can come to Jesus. This invitation is to the tired. Second thing about this invitation, y'all, this invitation is to the teachable. This invitation is to the, te the teachable. When Jesus extended this invitation, not only was it to the tired, it was to the teachable. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. When you give your life to Christ, you got to commit yourself to learning of him. I told Amari before baptism, we, we make a commitment to learning from Jesus how to make life work. We learn from Jesus how, how to live life. And perhaps, perhaps this sinner woman was willing to learn a new way of living, a new way of being. Perhaps she's open to change. She, she, could, she, could, she could be coming to see Jesus because she's open to learning how to live as God would have her to live. Any sinner who's at that place of openness to being taught how to live for Christ can come to Jesus. This invitation, this invitation he extends to the tired. Secondly, he extends this invitation to the teachable. And then he extends this invitation because it is to make a transfer. This invitation is that to make a transfer, transfer. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Here's the transfer. It's kind of subtle. It's kind of subliminal here in verse 30 of Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 11. It says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a transfer where Jesus is inviting those who are carrying a yoke, a wooden frame that ties them to this world, ties them to a bunch of religious rules, ties them to trying to get life right on their own and of their own power and strength. He says, give me that yoke and transfer that yoke for the one that I have to give you. Transfer that yoke you have where you're trying to get it right on your own and trying to live according to your own rules and trying to live according to a whole bunch of religious rules and do's and don'ts. Give, give me that yoke. Give me that, that thing that has you in bondage and, and, and become uh, bound in a relationship with me. Whatever yoke she already had would have to be transferred as an exchange for the yoke Jesus is offering.
She would have to transfer her yoke of sin for Jesus' yoke, which is easier and lighter than the yoke of sin. P perhaps perhaps this, the, the sinner woman rose up on Jesus because she's tired, teachable, and willing to make the transfer. I don't know. I don't know. The text does not explicitly tell us why she's there. Doesn't tell us why she's carrying on, but she's there. She's there. She's right up on him. And just a carrying on. Oh, I mean, she's just carrying. Look, look at your girl in the text. You still have your Bible up? Look at your girl. I mean, look at your girl, y'all. I mean, tell me what's up with your girl, man. I mean, women's ministry. What's up? Does this, is this what y'all teach in women's ministry? Look at this sister. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, Jesus, y'all, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her, teal, her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. What's up with your girl? I mean, she brought an alabaster box full of expensive perfume. This perfume must have taken her a while to save up enough money to purchase this perfume. However she generated income brought her to a place where she could afford this expensive perfume. The perfume is in an alabaster box. It's, it's in an alabaster jar. Alabaster is a beautiful translucent stone. It was softer than marble and easily molded into pots, vases, or flasks. She's, she's crying and shedding her tears on his feet. With the tears and expensive perfume, she washes Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. His feet are dusty from walking the dusty streets to move from place to place. You know, the Jews, they traveled by foot wearing sandals and their feet would get very dusty as they moved about in his feet. His feet are dusty and she serves him by washing them with her expensive perfume and her tears. As I've told you a moment ago, her, th th this language that speaks of her tears falling, it, it really means that, that she's showering Jesus' feet with her tears. Showering his feet with her tears. Dried them with her hair. Mm. I bet you ain't not one sister in here. I bet not now one of y'all about to wipe nobody's feet. With your, whether it's yours or some you bought. I bet you you ain't about to. You ain't about to go to nobody's beauty salon. Girl, do something with my hair. I was, wiping, I was wiping some feet yesterday with my hair. If you could just give me a wash and set, girl. Give me an oil press. Give me a, give me, girl. Ooh, girl, what you been doing with your hair? Girl, out, girl. She's wiping his feet with her hair. She has let her hair down. She has let her hair down in public. She probably had it up in a bun. And it's, it was a shame. Customarily, it was a shame for a woman to let her hair down in public. So say what you want about her. But this sister doesn't care what folks think about her or her lifestyle. She doesn't care what anyone would think about her letting her hair down in public. She doesn't care about looking like a slave because to wipe one's feet with one's hair was something slaves did for their masters. There's no shame in her game, none whatsoever. She's just a carrying on with all of that, and she's, she's kissing his feet, kissing his feet. 
To kiss the feet of a rabbi apparently happened on occasion. It, it was not very unusual, but you didn't just do it for any old rabbi. But, but, but it seems to have been a thing to kiss a rabbi's feet as a sign of deep reverence. But what does all of this mean? Why is she carrying on so? What's up with the perfume, the tears, kissing the feet and drying them with her hair? What's up with all of that? I mean, look at her. Don't make no sense. Simon, Simon the host is disturbed not only by what this woman is doing, he's disturbed that Jesus is letting her do it. Verse 39, I mean verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he was, if he was a for real man of God, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. There was a rule amongst, uh, amongst the Jews, especially amongst the Pharisees. You only let sinners get in so close. You know, you, you, you're righteous. You live in your life right. You don't, you don't fool with sinners. You don't, you don't hang out with sinners. Are y'all with me today? Yeah, he, you, you don't hang out with sinners. But Jesus oftentimes hung out with sinners. Simon is thinking. Thinking within himself. He's not, he's not mumbling. He's not talking aloud. He didn't text one of the guys at the table he's not he's not texting somebody and Jesus oversaw the text Simon is simply thinking and Jesus knew his thoughts Jesus our savior our lord our master he knows our thoughts he knows our secrets he he knows our desires he he knows y'all he he knows our motives he knows our hearts he knows what's on our minds he knows when 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 no one else knows Jesus knows Jesus Simon is just thinking and Jesus responded to what Simon was thinking. Jesus knows and when no one else knows, Jesus knows. He knows what you're going to ask him before you even ask him. He knows. He knows. You, you can't keep anything from him. You can't hide any secret from him. You cannot hide your motivation. You cannot hide your pain. You cannot hide your desires. You cannot hide what you really, really want from him. He's a mind regulator and he's a mind reader. He responded to Simon's thoughts. Simon didn't say a word, but Jesus responded to what Simon was thinking and told him a story. Look at verse 41. Verse 41. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? I pray you heard this story. I pray you heard me as I read the story. One person, y'all, owed, let's say, $500. And the other person owed $50. Neither one of them could repay the debt. I said neither one of them could repay the debt. That's a terrible thing, y'all. To have a debt you can never repay. They could never repay the debt, which means that they would be enslaved to, who, to whomever they owed the money forever. Or they could be sold away as slaves to pay off that debt. Yeah, they, they had, something had to be done to the debt. The president of, of, of Israel could not just uh, erase $10,000 of the debt. Amen. They, they would have to pay that debt. Jesus tells the story that they're in trouble because they have a debt and they cannot repay it. That's where the sinner is with the debt of their sin. The sin debt is one the sinner can never repay. Sin puts us in debt with the Father. 
It's a debt you can never repay. That's why Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 and 5, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus paid our sin debt. To be born in sin puts you in the grip of the devil. It puts you in a place where there's a ransom to be paid for your soul and a ransom to be, to be paid for your life and you can't repay it. That's why Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What's that mean, Pastor Clark? That means Jesus paid our sin debt. When he was hung on the cross as the Lamb of God, our sins were laid on him. He is our Redeemer. He, he through his blood, through his sacrifice, bought us back from the grip of the devil to bring us into the arms of the Father. That's why Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. That means, that means that we've been bought with a price. We've been bought back from the devil. And God, those of us who are born again, those of us who have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, we've been purchased by the blood of Christ and our sin debt has been paid. A debt that we could never pay. No matter how many songs you sing, you could never repay that debt. No matter how many sermons I preach, I couldn't, none of my sermons could repay that debt. No matter how many Sunday school lessons you teach, you can't teach enough Sunday school lessons to repay that debt. No matter how much good you do for other people in the world all of your good cannot repay that debt it's a debt you can never repay and to, and to die with that debt means you die in death and you die forever you die with being separated from God forever you you die having no chance of ever being brought to the presence of God to enjoy fellowship with him forever and ever it's a debt you can never repay this is a debt you don't want to die with if you die with credit card debt well your family may have to repay that if you die with student loan debt, your family may be able to get that erased. I'm saying that if you die with any other kind of debt, those who are in charge of your estate, they may be able to get some of that debt erased, some of that debt taken care of. But if you die indebted to God because of your sin, you will perish forever. So Jesus asked the question, who loves, who loves more? The one who owed the 500 or the one who owed the 50? Who would love more? That's a powerful question. Who would love more? Not who would be more grateful. Who would love more? Not who would be more relieved. Who, who would love more? It's not a question to ask. Who would love more? Simon answered the question. He says the one who owed more. Now let's be clear. None of us owe more than any others when it comes to the sin debt. The question who will love more is probably better understood when we ask who will love more. It, the one who realizes their guilt and need for forgiveness or the one who is just as guilty but has no clue as to how badly they need to be forgiven. Let me say it again. No, none of us have more sin debt than anyone else. Are y'all with me? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The question who loves more is who, who, who would realize their guilt and need for forgiveness or, 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 or who, who's the one that, that really owes more? The one who realizes their guilt 
in need for forgiveness or the one who is just as guilty but has no clue as to how badly they need to be forgiven who loves more who loves more who realizes they're guilty and need forgiveness versus who has no clue as to how guilty they are and desperately need to be forgiven who loves more Simon answered verse 43 once again y'all Simon answered I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt Jesus continues his discourse with Simon he really gets into Simon's grill when he says watch this that's right that's right Jesus said I'm in verse 44 then he turned to the woman and said to Simon look at this woman kneeling here look at her when I entered your house you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet which is a common courtesy in that day and time when I entered your home you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair you didn't greet me with a kiss which was common in that day and time but from the time I first came in she has not stopped kissing my feet verse 46 you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume something better than olive oil verse 47 I tell you her sins and they are many Jesus says don't get it twisted I know who she is I know how she been getting down I know how she's been living I, I know I know her story I, I know I, I know what she's been doing I, I know why she's been doing what she's been doing I, I know some stuff that the rumor mill don't even know her sins they are many have been forgiven so she has shown me much love but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love then Jesus said to the woman your sins are forgiven her sins were forgiven this may be why she's carrying on like she is I don't know I don't know she didn't ask for forgiveness she didn't repent she didn't cry out, Jesus, Lamb of God, Son of David, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. She never said a word. But Jesus knows our thoughts. I said he knows our thoughts. He knows our heart's desires. He knows our secrets. Most people will look at a sinner and see nothing more than a sinner. Jesus can look at a sinner devoted to sin who secretly wants to be delivered from sin. I wish I had some help in here. But somebody's neighbor needs to hear that. Somebody's streaming needs to hear that. Jesus can look at a sinner that everyone knows is a sinner devoted to sin. But Jesus can see if they secretly want to be delivered from sin. Jesus can look at your heart and see frustration and pain and shame and guilt. No one else will ever see or ever care to see. Jesus can see it. So I wanted to encourage somebody to let you know he sees you. He should, somebody need to holler, he sees me. He sees my heart. He sees my mind. He sees my frustration. He sees my shame. He sees my guilt. Jesus sees you. He sees the forgiveness you secretly desire. Jesus sees you. He sees your devotion to sin, and he also sees your desire to be saved. Jesus sees you. He sees how you want a new life and to be right with God. Jesus sees you. He sees who you've been. He sees who you can become in him. He sees you can become a new creature with all things passing away and all things becoming new. Jesus sees you. I need somebody to holler. He sees me. 
He sees me. He sees. He sees it. He sees your potential. He sees who Almighty God has destined you to become. He sees who you can become if the devil keeps on controlling your life. He sees who you can become if you give your life over to him. He sees who you have been when you've given up on yourself. But he sees who you can become because he never gave up on you. I'm telling you, he sees you. And all of us in here who used to be under the devil's grip can testify that the reason why the devil had to loosen his grip on us is because Jesus saw us. He saw us when he was hanging on the cross. He saw us when he had nails on his hands. He saw us when he had a nail in his feet. He saw us when he was shedding his blood. He saw us when he was when he was crucified. He saw us when they put him in the borrowed grave. He saw us all that Friday night. He saw us the whole time he was there Saturday. He saw us early Sunday morning when he got up with all power in his hands. He saw you when you hit rock bottom. He saw you when you were about to give up. He saw you when everybody turned their backs on you. He saw you when you failed out of rehab. He saw you when you couldn't leave those drugs alone. He saw you when your friends walked off away from you. He saw you when you came to him weary, wounded, and sad. That's why you found in him a resting place he has made you glad. Anybody willing to testify he saw you? He saw you. When you were ready to get your life right, he saw you. He saw you and touched your heart to turn your life around. He saw me. He saw me. He saw me. He saw if I kept on, I was going to end up in hell. He saw me. He saw he could do something with me. He saw me. He saw he could change me. He saw me. Did he see you? Come on, don't talk, don't lie to me. Now, did he see you? Did he pick you up and turn you around? Did he see you? Did he place your feet on solid ground? Did he see you? Did he deliver you from something you never thought you'd leave alone? Did he see you? He saw me. He saw me. Let's see if we can catch up with her now. Now that all of this is over. Let's catch up with her. I don't know where she is. She might be over at Smiley's. She might be at the Galleria Mall. They open it. She might be walking until they open at one o'clock. I don't. Let's catch up with her. She might be our. She might be at old times, getting her grub on before getting her grub on before the church crowd gets out. She, she might be at the drive-through at Chick-fil-A, not knowing that they don't open till tomorrow. I don't know. Let's see if we can catch up with her. We gotta. Let's catch up. Catch up with her. I want to ask her. I want to ask her. What What was all that about? What, what was all? What was all that about? What was all that carrying on about? Why? Why were you crying? I, I, just, I got to know. Why Why did you pour expensive perfume on Jesus' feet? Why, why, why did you shower his dusty feet with your tears? I, I, I got to know. I, I ain't going to be like everybody else who's just going to talk about you. Talk about you behind your back and talk about you at the mall and talk about you at the movies and talk about you at the beauty salon and talk about you after the women's ministry meeting is over and talk about you. Talk about you in the church parking lot. I ain't going to be. I ain't going to be like, let me just talk about you when the meeting is over. I ain't going to talk about you on social media and DM you. I ain't going to talk about you on the phone, FaceTime, and we're so much other stuff we could be talking about, but we're busy talking about other folk. I ain't going to do that. I want to know, sister, why? What was all that about? Why you let your hair down with no shame? What was that all about? Were you just seeking attention? Was it all a show? I'm, I'm, I'm going to act like church folk with this one. Did it take all that? I mean, really, your hair? 
It's a bunch of foolishness. What do we call what she called herself doing? I don't know what we would call it, but I bet you she would call it worship. I bet you she would call it worship. I, I bet you she would say, I, I was so in awe of him. I, it's, the, I couldn't stop my tears from flowing. I was so enamored with who he is and who he stands for and who I believe him to be and what he could do for me. I, just, I, I was just so in awe of him. I, 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 was, I was really crying because I was upset that I didn't have two alabaster boxes full of expensive perfume. I was, I was really frustrated because all I could give him was all I had and I felt like uh, with all he is all I had wasn't enough and, and, she, and she, she, she would tell me Clark you don't understand because you, you ain't never been that awed by him Clark, Clark have you ever been in that that much awe Clark is there, is there aren't there some stuff you ain't gonna do in public as an expression of your worship because you'd be too ashamed You, you, you and all them folk at Union Grove Ask all of them Ask A-X-X-E Ask all of them Are there some limitations to your worship? Are there some things you ain't gonna do in public Because you're afraid of what other folk may think Or what other folk may have to say What would we call all that carrying on She was doing at the feet of Jesus I don't know what you would call it She would call it worship she would call it worship. She'd probably call it adoration of the ancient of days. She'd probably call it gratitude to the one who is God in the flesh. She'd probably call it the least she could do for the one who invites sinners to wear a new yoke of salvation and sanctification. She'd probably call it worship. And she'd tell us. She would tell us the why behind her worship was based on forgiveness. She probably tell us the why behind her worship was because he paid a debt that she could not repay. She probably tell us, she probably tell us, you know what? Some people, some people believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord because of what they've been taught in church. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But there are some people who worship Jesus because he woke them up that morning or he put food on their table or he brought them from a mighty long way financially or brought them from a mighty long way so, as far as society is concerned. There are some people who worship Jesus the way they do because he healed them from cancer or healed them from a heart attack or healed them from a stroke or did this for them or did that for them and so or some temporal thing some 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 something that they that he's done in their life that they they know it's him but but what if he never does any of that anymore what if what if he never opens another door no man can shut what if he makes uh, what if he never makes another way out of no way what what if he never gives you something that you want can you still worship him because over 2,000 years ago, he gave you something that you needed? I wish I had some help. I think, I, I wonder how many of us really need to audit our worship. How many of us really need to audit our worship? When's the last time you just gave him worship because he died for you? When's the last time you gave him worship because he shed his blood for you? When's the last time you gave him worship because he forgave you of your sins, paid a debt you could never repay? delivered you from a burning hell I wonder how many of us today could really benefit from doing an audit on our worship I wonder, I wonder how many of us may be holding back on our praise holding back on our worship because he ain't gave, he ain't gave us what we want yet you ain't got your way with him yet Yeah, you want him to open the door he ain't opened it now you mad at God 
You want him to touch somebody that he didn't touch. Now you're mad at God. You want him to open a door he hasn't opened. Now you're mad at God. You want him to heal somebody that he didn't heal. Now you're mad. I wonder how many of us are holding back from God because we're mad at God. Or how many of us are holding back from our lives, holding back from who we can become because we're too ashamed to become who God has ordained and destined for us to become. I want to challenge all of us. You, you, we may need to audit our worship. Praise God for the doors he opens. Praise God for the ways he makes. Praise God for the, for the battles he fights. Praise God for the things that he does. Praise God for the healings. Praise God for the deliverances. Praise God for guiding us. Praise God for ordering our step. Praise God. But if he never orders another step, if he never heals another body, if he never gives me what I want, I will worship him because over 2,000 years ago, he gave me what I needed and paid a debt I could never repay. So my question, I just got a text from the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you, is that enough? Is that enough? His forgiving you, is that enough? His wiping your sin debt away, is that enough? His, 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 his giving you everlasting life, is that enough? I think that should be enough. Praise God for the other, other stuff. Trust him for the other stuff. Declare and decree the other stuff. Believe him for the other stuff. But can, can his death, burial, and resurrection be enough? Can his blood be enough? I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. And I don't know how that makes you behave. But that ought to make all of us behave in a way where we're in awe of him. Sacrificing unto him. Being grateful unto him. And then I want to close with this. Jesus told her. Jesus told her. That the men at the table. Other folks at the table were wondering. Who, who does this dude think he is? Going around forgiving sin. Who does this dude think he is? Isn't it interesting, Joan? Isn't it interesting that Simon didn't quite know who he was? If he was a real prophet, he wouldn't let this woman get all up on him like that. All the men at the table, they're wondering, who does this guy think he is? Just forgiving sins and carrying on. But this sinner woman sees him. She sees something that the Pharisee couldn't see. She sees something that other men sitting around him could not see. She, she saw something in Jesus that these other, these other cats could not see. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Go in peace. Go, go, go on with your life in peace. Go on from here in peace. Go, go on from a life of being devoted to sin. Go on from a life of how you've been getting down. Go on from a life where your identity is not going to be changed. Go on. Go on with your life. Go forward. Go on with your life. Go on. And that's what I need to tell somebody here who you've asked God for forgiveness. You've repented of your sins. You've asked him to help you live a new life in Christ. You, you have asked him to sanctify you and, and redeem you by his blood. You have asked him, let me encourage you with the same word Jesus gave to her. Go on, just go. Go, go, go on. And Jesus said, go in peace. You, have, you now have peace with God. You now have peace with the Father. You, you, you and God, y'all are all right. You, you're straight with God now. You, you're straight with the Father. The Father has received you as one of his very own. The Father now looks beyond your faults and meets your need. The Father welcomes you. The Father says, you belong to me. I know other folk may have kicked you to the curb and nobody else wants to claim you, but the Father says, you belong to me now. 
because you've been forgiven not because you joined the choir not because you started ushering not because you started back going to church not because you started back going to Sunday school you belong to me because now your sins have been forgiven I wish I had some help in here but somebody needs to understand that's when you can start living again that's when you can start living the born again life that's when you can start living with a new identity when you know beyond the shadow of a doubt I've been forgiven I've been forgiven and you have been forgiven if you've come to Christ and admit admitted that you're a sinner you believe that he is the son of the living God and you confessed him as Lord and Savior according to the scriptures you're, you're saved you are forgiven you're good with God don't worry about whether or not you're good with God don't worry about whether or not God is, is angry with you don't, don't, don't worry about whether or not God is going to keep his promise God will keep his promise he promised that whoever comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. He promised that whoever, whoever is in the hands of Jesus, no, no man can pluck him out. The world can't pluck him out. You, you have been forgiven. Go and go in peace. Live the rest of your life in peace. Don't worry about what religious folk have to say. Don't worry about what church folk have to say. Go in peace. Live the way Jesus would have you to live. Honor Jesus the way you're going to live. Honor God with the words of your mouth, the meditations of your heart. Go on in your life in peace. Not only peace with God, but peace in your soul peace in your soul peace peace in your soul peace despite your past peace despite what you've gone through peace despite what you've messed up peace despite what you've ruined peace despite who knows about what you've done peace despite the mistakes you've made peace despite the lives you've messed up peace despite the careers you've ruined peace despite how you messed up your health peace despite all you've done bad all your life peace despite what you was what you've gone through peace because God is pleased to call you his very own peace peace that the world can't give and the world can't take away peace peace that the church can't give and the church can't take away peace so what is the why behind your worship what, what's, what's the why what, what makes you sacrifice unto him what makes you call upon him what makes you follow him it ought be whatever your why is it has to it has to stand on a sure foundation because he forgave me because he paid a debt I could never pay if I never get back what the devil told what the devil took from me I'm still going to worship my, wor my worship is deeper than tangible blessing. My worship is deeper than me getting what I want. My worship is deeper than me living a life of comfort and convenience. My worship is deeper than living a life of pleasure. My life, my life is deeper than living a life of, of luxury and got to have that high-end life. Listen, listen, if I lose everything, I can still worship. My worship is predicated, built on a foundation. He forgave me of my sins. He paid a debt. I could never pay and because of him I've received the gift the gift of eternal life on my worst day I still have the gift of eternal life in my worst season I still have the gift of eternal life amen 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 this has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. 
If you ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.